Hello, listeners from coast to coast, from the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Well, this show is going to be a volcanic eruption of news of all different types. We're going to cover, number one, the second part of the historical series on taxation in America. And I'm going to cover some taxes that you don't think about that are part of the federal tax code (laughs) that dig deep into your little pockets, which they're really good at doing. And then, of course, wasting the money on top of that or using the money to buy their own votes. We'll be talking about that, too. And then we're going to talk about some, I mean, gangbuster, blockbuster, blow up news on the COVID jab front. Why don't we just say it kind of bears fruit for all the stuff I've been telling you about, I've been warning you about for more than a year and a half since they, should we say, unsheathed the needle and tried to mandate it. Get ready. And you know, you might want to be looking for some attorneys, those of you who were fraudulently induced to get the jab, because I think there's going to be a lot of money changing hands down the road. And then we're going to talk about the economy, a little rat-a-tat-tat, so to speak, on the economy, an economic rat-a-tat-tat, because there seems to be a whole bunch of stuff which people aren't sharing with you on this economy, and you need to know it because you need to prepare. (laughs) I mean, you really need to prepare. And then we're going to do rat-a-tat-tat, and once again, it's going to be a big one. I mean, we got all sorts of stuff to cover. So let's start out with our founder's quote. It's always how we start this show, because those guys were wise. They were inspired. And we can be inspired by them. I think this is apropos to what you're going to be hearing in this show. It's Benjamin Franklin. Let me quote. In free governments, the rulers are the servants. And the people, their superiors and sovereigns. Boy, if we could only make that true again, huh, folks? I have a little rant story for you. And by the way, my apologies. I didn't have a rant story last week. Boy, the emails blew up. I didn't realize the rant stories were so popular. But... Right now, I'm signing books at the Western State Fair in Boise, Idaho. Terrific. Idahoans are terrific folks. we got piles and piles and piles of readers down here, and it's going great. So thank you, Boise and Western Idaho. The end of next week, we'll be starting up at Eastern Idaho, Blackfoot, the Idaho State Fair, and i got piles of readers there. I can't wait to see you guys and get you rocking and rolling. Wyoming is done, and thanks to all you fellow Wyomingites of mine who came down and bought books and hardcovers. Those hardcovers are beautiful. And I'll keep you kind of apprised. I'm going to give you a little tidbit here sometime during this show, because, you know, I talk to a lot of people at these book signings. In fact, probably over the last two weeks, almost 3,000 people. I can tell by the amount of cards we give out. And I am getting a recurring, overwhelming, let me repeat, overwhelming, theme from the people I'm talking to. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter their gender. It doesn't matter their income class. People are really pissed off. I mean, they are more pissed off than I have ever seen them. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the conversations I had. But first, the rant story. Ah, yes. So this was the week I was leaving for these book signings. And it had been very dry. I mean, very dry. We were really worried about the second cutting of alfalfa. We only have enough water to run the pivot at night, which is, uh, for this time of year, almost unheard of. And there's no way we're going to get any second cutting or any growth of any substance whatsoever on the grass hay fields. And just when we were kind of giving up hope and the weather report was showing 
you know, 10 solid days of sun and 90 or 95 degrees and no humidity. Wow. Out of nowhere came two great nighttime rainfalls. I mean, one was like six tenths of an inch and one was like four tenths of an inch, an inch of rain over two nights, not even forecast, blue sky the next morning, and it saved our bacon. And you know, the moral of this story is no matter how bleak or parched or dry it looks, rain will come. And you know, it's kind of like that old adage, no matter how bleak things look, sunshine always follows rain. Keep that in mind as we go through this this show today and all the things I'm going to share with you because they're bleak. They really are. But you need to know and you need to know the facts because it doesn't seem that there's anyone or should I say very few who are willing to share this information with you or dig it out to even present it to you. So let's get started with the second half of our historical story on taxation, shall we? Listen carefully to all the little goodies they have in their grab-your-wallet grab bag. And they have them, folks. So today, we're going to do a little mix of historical and current in relations to a bunch of taxes that you really don't think about until you have to. Gift taxes, and estate taxes, and sin taxes, and sales taxes, and gasoline taxes. Let me tell you how they originated And let me tell you what their current status is. And then I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. So if you go back in history again, you know where the tax thing really got impetus was during the War of 1812. It was a high-cost war, and it was followed by the Mexican-American War about a decade or two later. And the country needed money. So that's when they first began imposing a sales tax. Gold, silverware, jewelry, watches, that kind of thing. And in 1813... Congress consented, I'll use the word advisedly, to a series of direct taxes, land, property, products, which included particularly carriages, spirits, you know, booze, and refined sugar. You know, just a few things that you kind of need. Ah, gee, what, what led them to tax things that you need? Hmm, it must be their overwhelming empathy for all us Americans. As a sidelight, the Office of the Commissioner of Internal Revenue was created by Abraham Lincoln his Revenue Acts of 1862 and 1864. His income tax, by the way, as another historical note, was repealed because people were not happy about it. And it was repealed in 1872. And from 1872 to, to 1892, there was no income tax again, once again, in the United States of America. In 1895, the Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional for the federal government to levy an income tax unless it was divided evenly between the states based on population. So that made it extremely difficult for the federal government to tax kind of higher-earning states more than lower-income states. In 1909, Congress tried to overcome this obstacle, and that was the 16th Amendment, which got passed in 2013. And to get around the state taxation issue, that is when Congress went to personal income taxes. Then it flowed to every individual, no matter what state you resided in. You see how that works? There's always a way around. Here's what's really interesting, I think. And remember, folks, for all you folks who who don't get out of your box, who don't kind of ignore the normalcy bias, which we are all prone to, and who say it can't happen here, let me remind you that the top marginal tax rate for income tax during World War I rose all the way to 94% during World War II. Let me repeat that. 94% top income 
tax rate. Think about that, folks. That means with state and federal taxes, you could actually envision a scenario where every dollar you earned, 99 cents or 100 cents of that dollar, was going to taxes. Yes. And if you don't think that this government wants to do about the same thing, well, let me just say that you have far more faith in the humanity that comprises government than your host does. And a little another interesting kind of historical sidelight. John F. Kennedy, and you know, he was murdered for a number of reasons. But one of the things was he was screwing with the deep state, which was becoming firmly entrenched. And he was the first president to aggressively push for tax cuts. He talked about tax reform at his speech at the Economic Club of New York in 1962, just about a year before his assassination. At that time, the highest marginal tax rate had dropped from 94% to 91%. That's right. When President Kennedy was elected, the highest income tax rate in the United States was 91%. In 1964, shortly after he was killed, there were tax cuts, which he had begun and it dropped the top of marginal rate to 77%. I want you to think about that. 77 cents on every dollar you earn going to the federal government. Never mind sales taxes and state taxes and all the other hidden taxes, which we're going to talk about briefly, like estate taxes. Remember, too, that Trump's tax act are set to sunset or expire after 2025. So you'd be thinking about what's going to happen in the elections of 2024, folks, because if you get a real left-leaning government, if you get anything remotely resembling the Democratic Marxists, which unfortunately now comprise the majority of the so-called Democratic Party, you better hold on to your seatbelts, folks, because it's going to be a bumpy tax ride. Yes, it is. Because, you know, in the end, and I've said this a million times, guess what? The government has no sources of revenue except your property and your wallet. Period. Period. Let's talk about gift and estate taxes, because there are all sorts of taxes out there, not just income tax, and all of these affect, really, just about everyone. Estate taxes, you know, when you tip over and your stuff goes to whoever you want it to go to, they began estate taxes in the 1880s. There were no federal estate tax laws until the 1920s. Congress didn't address exemptions, you know, the current exemptions for spouses who can inherit an estate from another spouse if they're joint tenancy estates, until 1948. The current system, in which a spouse can actually receive an entire estate from a dead spouse, tax-free, was not approved until 1981. Gift taxes. I'm sure many of you give gifts to your grandchildren or your children or another relative, whatever. Gift taxes were were introduced in about 1924, and they've remained pretty much stable all the way through till now. Whether that continues, well, that's a whole other story. And that has to do with the 2024 elections, and by the way, the upcoming 2022 election. Because one thing that the Democrats would love to do is to increase taxes on everyone, folks. they got to feed the beast, and the beast is an ever-increasing government with ever-increasing power, which is kind of their dream child. It's their god, so to speak. One of the reasons, by the way, they're so anti-religion. You know, you can't have two gods. As the Chinese say, you can't have two suns in the sky. The first estate tax was enacted, by the way, in 1797, and it was enacted to fund the U.S. Navy. It was repealed, and then it was reinstituted over the years, basically in response to the need to finance wars. Hmm. You know, that's kind of a recurring theme here. The modern estate tax, which is kind of what we know, was enacted in 1916. 
And there were multiple other taxes that kind of revolved around estates in the 1920s and 30s. Sales taxes. They were first enacted in West Virginia. Oh, gee. Back to the senator's home state in 1921. Eleven other states followed suit in 1933. By 1940, 18 states plus the original 12 states, in other words, 40 of the 50 states, had a sales tax in place. Alaska, Delaware, Montana, New Hampshire, and Oregon today are the only states without a sales tax. And then, of course, we have the alternative minimum tax, which arose several decades ago. And this was a new type of federal income tax. It wasn't enacted until 1978. This is kind of a parallel tax system to the income tax system. It uses a separate set of rules to calculate what the government considers taxable income after all your deductions. And it was designed to prevent taxpayers from avoiding their, quote, fair share of taxes. We'll talk a little bit about more about that before we end this segment. And then we have what's called the sin taxes, cigarettes, alcohol, other types of stuff which kind of revolve around those things. Now we're seeing, of course, drugs and marijuana, big revenue producers for the government, not to mention they dumb everybody down, which makes things much easier for the government to do. The first federal tobacco taxes, which is where all the current sin taxes come from, that's S-I-N, sin, were first enacted in 1794, and they came and went until about 1864. And in 1864, a box of 20 cigarettes was taxed at 8 cents, actually 8 tenths of 1 cent. The rate is $1.66 per pack average in 2022. Missouri, by the way, has the lowest cigarette tax, 17 cents per pack. New York has the highest at $4.35 per pack of cigarettes. You wonder why, if any of you folks smoke, if you go to the Big Apple, that cigarettes are like $16 a pack? Well, now you know. The same was kind of true for whiskey. So the lowest tax rate for booze in 2021 was $2 per gallon in Missouri, and the highest was $35.31 per gallon, think about that, in Washington State. And the taxes for wine are kind of similar. Beer, for you beer drinkers, was taxed at $0.02 cents per gallon in Wyoming. Hey, go Wyoming. And a high of $1.29 per gallon in Tennessee. An interesting thing to note about sin taxes, they fall disproportionately, as do many of these taxes, by the way, despite all the political bombast to the contrary, on the poor. It's mostly the poor folks who are discouraged from using tobacco, alcohol, other types of things, because other income groups can afford to pay the higher taxes. And then, of course, we have gasoline taxes, which was started by President Herbert Hoover in the Revenue Act of 1932. Gas was taxed at that time at one cent per gallon. Let me repeat that, one cent per gallon. By 2022, the tax had risen, the federal tax, had risen to 18 cents per gallon. Remember that states also have gasoline taxes, and they average about 39 cents per gallon. The lowest gas tax right now is in Alaska, 15 cents per gallon. The highest is 68 cents per gallon in, of course, California. And then we have investment taxes. Now, you know, anybody with half an economic brain cell, with one living brain cell in their economic mind, would know that if you want growth in your economy, you don't want to tax investments because that's what spurs growth. But, you know, I mean, I'm just your hayseed in Wyoming. What the hell do I know? But that hasn't stopped government from including it <laughs> under in its thirst for taxable revenues, right? Capital gains taxes. You know, you buy a property, you hold it for more than a year, you sell it for, let's say, 20% more. That 20%, not getting into the weeds of depreciation, etc., that 20% is a profit. 
and that is taxed as a capital gain if you've held the asset for more than a year, a long-term capital gain. The capital gains tax was first enacted with the 16th Amendment in 1913, and dividend taxes were enacted in 1936, and then went away in 1939, and then reappeared in 1954, and exists today. And now, folks, let me tell you the rest of the story. The beast must be fed, and it is hungry, and growing hungrier as it starves. And by that I mean, when you run out of money, you starve, and the government is out of money. The United States is out of money, and they only have one source to replenish those funds they need to grow, to grow their control, to grow their numbers, to grow their power, and to grow their size. And you need to be thinking about this. The so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which we talked at length about last week, if you didn't listen, you should, on the therightsideradio.com. That's just the warning shot. It is the tax bullet, if you will, across your bow. Pay attention and think about this. You're going to see this in the future. I'm here to tell you. And there are things that you should be doing right now to protect what is yours, to protect your income, to protect your family and your family's financial legacy. And everybody is at a different level, but everybody can do something. Talk to a trusted tax advisor, and I don't mean the folks down TurboTax. I mean somebody who knows their stuff. It, you may spend a little money doing that, but you'll find it a very wise investment in planning for what is likely ahead of us in terms of the realm of taxation. You know, you folks who have decent-sized estates, and you know, in the current period of inflation, many people have decent-sized estates. I mean, it's really not a lot to have an estate if you've been working 40 years and you have a pension and you have Social Security and your house is a nice house that you bought a long time ago and has a big capital gain built into it and maybe your mortgage is paid off or paid down. It's not real difficult to have an estate of a million or two million or three million dollars. Right now, the estate tax level, basically your estate has to be more than 11 million dollars for the federal government to glom on to 55% of your estate on which you've already paid taxes through your whole life to finance its lust for spending. However, that has been as low, and I'm talking about recent history, in real today's dollars, which devalue every day. That has been as low as 2 or $3 million. And I think you're going to see that go down again. You know, particularly as they beat the drums of the victim classes they have created and say that these wealthy people, you know, these people who have a $5 million net worth, which is nothing. It's zero. It's virtually, it's not even a ripple in a drop in a ripple in a pond in the overall context of today's economy. Think about if you have a, an estate of $3 million, or you have an estate of $4 million, or $5 million, whatever it happens to be. I mean, some lower, nice, but some lower number. And they drop that estate tax threshold from the $11 million that came out in Trump's tax act. Remember, that expires in 2025 to $2 million. Do you want the government getting 55% of the excess over $2 million? What if they drop it to nothing, to zero, or 500000 be thinking about these things because one thing you can count on is that the government is going to search every crevasse, particularly with their 87,000 new agents. We're going to talk about that in the, in the rat-a-tat-tat. With their 87,000 new agents and 600% increase in budget. Gee, do you think they're planning on more taxes, folks? Do you think they're planning on more collections? What do you think? You'd be well, well advised to do some planning, to look into the future, and to think outside your normalcy bias, particularly since you know that in the past, income tax rates, from my little history story, has been a, as high as 94%, and we're actually 77 to 94% for decades in this country. Okay, we've talked about tax, and you know what? Now it's time to talk about some economic news, which 
<laughs> I know you're not hearing, and you absolutely, positively need to hear. So, you know, President Cadaver, our buddy Joe Biden, go Brandon. You know, they changed the definition of vaccines. We'll be talking about that here in the next little segment. When, they, when things weren't going too well with the vaccines, and the vaccines were shown not to really be vaccines, including by Pfizer and Moderna's own papers, and now he's trying to change the definition of recession. Hmm. It's kind of a change to a definition, which is when he says there's a recession, then there's a recession. Until then, there's no recession, folks. And he kind of ordered his credulous fools, and there are many of them, racing around Washington trying to carry out his increasingly bizarre and conflicting orders just to redefine the word. You know, I mean, that's what the left does, right? The Daily Mail observed that Biden and his cabal, quote, point to metrics like record job growth and steady levels of consumer spending to argue the country is not yet in a recession and previously claimed that such a downturn was not inevitable, unquote. Oh, you bet. And then, of course, corporate media, they obediently slurped up Joe's new recession definition like a pack of trained SeaWorld penguins wolfing down their kipper rewards after gliding through ice hoops. I mean, what else is new, right? Guess what? There was a UK story. I mean, you're not going to find it in the American press, of course. Daily Mail again. Quote, this was a headline. 97% of U.S. executives believe U.S. is now in a recession or close to one despite Biden's consistent denials. Oh, my. You know, when 97% of the businesses in a nation think you're in a recession, I really hate the clue cadaver and his cabal, but that means you're in a recession because everybody who believes it is acting accordingly, cutting down staff, cutting down orders, making defensive moves, and guess what? That contracts the economy. Huh, it's amazing how that works. Amazing. And along the line, they've either been directly lying to you folks, or they've been lying by omission. You know, you can have fraud two ways, omission and representation. You know those 372,000 new quote-unquote non-farm hires in June, and the employment rate sticking at 3.6%? Oh, they were just jumping up and down. You probably heard Cadaver singing his tunes there. But guess what? Oh, my Two-thirds of the new reported hires in the U.S. were people who already had another job. It was a second job. Oh, gee, we forgot to tell you guys that. Yeah, you know, most of the jobs that were added in June, folks, 239,000 of the 372,000 quote-unquote new jobs were people seeking a second job, most likely trying to keep up with inflation and rising taxes. And I don't know if you've noticed, but fuel prices, after taking the little dip, are starting to rise again. Oh, gee, imagine that. That must be because we're running out of oil to sell to Hunter Biden's friends in China for a, a song and a dance. So now our oil reserves, you know, these strategic oil reserves, are at their lowest point basically ever, going into winter. Oh, what could go wrong with this? Let me think. Uh, you know, Barack Obama and a Michelle, they seem to think something's going to go wrong. They just installed three massive propane tanks on their $15 million Martha's Vineyard property with a capacity of 2,500 gallons of propane. Hmm, what could they be using that for? It can't be the private jets they fly around on because they don't use propane. I'll leave it up to you to figure it out. 
And then we have more information. Housing starch. You know, a leading indicator of a sinking, sagging, recession-headed or recession-in economy is housing. I've told you this for years. And I've brought you information on what's been happening with the housing market, which nobody else seems to want to share with you. But last month, the annualized change in the number of new residential buildings that began construction declined 9.6%. Wow. And that was after slight gains in June. This is July. You know, when things start to get tight, people cut back on spending, right? You, me, and everybody with a brain. And the bigger expenses, houses, cars, etc., they're the ones that are cut first. And of course, those cutbacks force companies to make cuts themselves. In some cases, they lay off as many workers as possible. Did you know, although it was buried somewhere deep in the cellar of news, that Amazon has laid off 100,000, let me repeat that, 100,000 people and more layoffs coming in the last month? They're blaming it on supply chain problems. Well, you know, guys, I just don't think that that's the case. I think it's falling orders because people are spending less and ordering less. And back to homes, the sales of previously owned homes, right, used homes, fell 6% in July compared with June. That's a 6% month-to-month decline. Sales dropped 20% from the same month, July 2021. I mean, these are big drops, big drops. And on top of that, mortgage lenders, at least the worst of them, the ones who were never really capitalized to to begin with, they're beginning to go broke. Oh, great. Bloomberg actually carried this buried somewhere on their 99th page a week ago Friday. Quote, the U.S. mortgage industry is seeing its first lenders go out of business after a sudden spike in lending rates and the wave of failures that could be coming might be the worst since the housing bubble burst 15 years ago. Uh-oh. Gee, what's going to happen now? Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. Mortgage lender first guarantee. They originated $10.6 billion in mortgages in 2021 have filed for bankruptcy, laid off 80% of their employees. They're owned by fixed-income giant Pacific Investment Management, also known as PIMCO. You probably heard that name. It said in its bankruptcy filing that it had $473 million in debts. And guess what? Most of that is owed to banks, Flagstar Bank and Customers Bank. I wonder what's going to be happening with these banks when all these outfits fold and they can't pay their loans, and they have to take them as loss reserves, and then the auditors come in, and then they don't meet capitalization rates. Ah, you know, there's a domino effect to all this stuff. That's really what I'm trying to get across to you. Don't think about just this news that I'm bringing you. Think about the ripple effect, or should I say the wave effect, downstream from this news. By the way, First Guarantee dealt in what was called non-qualified mortgages, or non-QMs, which guess what? They go to borrowers with erratic income, or should we say, not highly qualified borrowers. Gee, does this sound like 2008? You bet. And then there's another QM company, Sprout Mortgage. They suddenly laid off hundreds of employees and closed their doors. I mean, boom, done. We're done. Bye, guys. Thanks for everything. Now they're being sued by a bunch of employees for three weeks of pay and other firms for defaulting on millions of dollars of home loan purchases. Can you imagine all those poor people who thought they were going to close deals or people who thought you were going to sell houses and now the mortgage that was supposedly committed just evaporated? All there is is an empty shell of a building from the originator? Oh, terrific. 
By June of this year, I'm talking about two months ago, there was three months after the Fed started raising rates, 30-year fixed mortgages hit 6%, folks, just like right under it. And mortgage demand cratered to a 20-year low that very same month. That's how quick it happens. The Fed's benchmark lending rate has gone from basically 0% to close to 2.5% in eight months, and most of that on the tail end of that eight months. And rates are going to keep going higher, folks, because, well, they say they want to fight inflation, but they caused the inflation. They knew they were causing the inflation. Now they want rates to go higher, in my hayseed opinion, because they want to hurt you. They want to make you dependent. Understand what's going on here in the big picture. Keith Lind, he's the CEO of another QM lender, ACRA Lender, A-C-R-A Lending. He told an industry publication, well, the problems are they aren't just bad loans. They're just bad prices. In other words, mortgage prices. Yeah, well, I don't think so. You know, it doesn't matter where a mortgage is priced if you happen to give it to somebody who can't and won't pay you. It's probably interesting to note that since the 2008 blow up, the biggest banks, Chase, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, they've dramatically downsized, in some cases, eliminated their mortgage businesses. So it's a bunch of independent lenders who've stepped in to fill the void. And now these independent lenders who make up a very significant chunk of the revised mortgage business, if you will, basically rule the roost in terms of mortgage refinancing and mortgage origination. In fact, two-thirds of the top 20 mortgage refinancing companies were non-banks last year. That's twice as many as in 2004. And all these types of lenders, unlike the big banks, the big mortgage lenders who basically use their own reserves and you know warehouse loans when they make them until they can bundle them and sell them on the secondary market or keep them if they're really class A loans. All these kind of new mortgage lenders, the mortgage lenders that have evolved out of the last crisis, they work on short-term credit, lines of credit. They go out and do, let's say, $20 million of mortgages. I'm just taking a number. And they borrow $20 million from their line of credit to finance those mortgages. And then they package them and they sell them in various second secondary market to various secondary market buyers. So that's how that works. So when you're not getting loans, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. When you're not getting loans to make loans, to sell loans, you know, the merry-go-round stops and you have a problem. And all the people who are depending on you and all the people that you committed to for financing and all sorts of stuff, you know, their, their lives, selling their house, their biggest asset, buying a house, their biggest investment, their loans evaporate. All those transactions fall through. Think about the, the ripple effects of those. The realtor doesn't get the commission that they were counting on to pay their home loan. The title company doesn't get the title work that the title company needs to pay its employees. I mean, look, you can, you can go all the way down the line. None of this is a pretty picture. Even though Cadaver and his cabal wants to tell us that we're not in a recession, we're not in a recession until we say we're in a recession. You betcha. Let me share a little bit on the raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Oh, they were so surprised. John Solomon, who is a great reporter, has uncovered a bevy of documents, including letters between the NARA, you know, the National Archives, and the FBI, and the Department of Justice, and the Biden administration, including the President's Council. 
Let me read you just an excerpt. Quote, the counsel to the president has informed me that, in light of the particular circumstances presented here, President Biden defers to my determination in consultation with the Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Legal Counsel whether or not I should uphold the former president's purported protective assertion of executive privilege. I have therefore decided not to honor the former president's protective claim of privilege. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know anything about this, folks. You bet. Okay, so we kind of knew this in advance, but here's the uh, black and white proof. As seems to come out on every lie they get caught in. By the way, remember that this is the same Justice Department and the same White House who coordinated with the National School Boards Association before they initiated the letter, which became the pretext for Cadaver's administration taking action against moms and dads who were protesting at school board meetings. Uh-huh, yeah. They didn't know anything about that either. There's some interesting and very dangerous precedents that are set here. You know, if a president can be voted in and he can unilaterally waive the privilege of a former president, think about that, which has never been done before, then how can any president operate with the secure knowledge that what he discusses with Tom Sally, attorney whatever, is going to remain top secret? How can he possibly govern the country, particularly with enemies like Russia and China out there? I mean, it's just... Unbelievable. Once again, for political expediency, Democratic Marxists are throwing the Constitution, the national security of America, and the American people under the bus. What else is new? And then Katie Pavlich, who's very good, she had a great piece on the freebies that are being rolled out for illegal migrants that are landing in New York City, which the left calls compassionate. Yeah. Well, did you know that there was a family fun day? That's Seriously, that's what it was called. That was set up in New York City, okay, over last weekend, a week ago, where migrants were invited to there. And then they were given everything from health care, free health care, to free phones and free food. Hmm. You know, this is a free-for-all, folks. None of these benefits that these illegal immigrants who crossed the border and broke the law to get into the country, none of this stuff is free for any American taxpayer, right? It's not free for New Yorkers. It's not free for sure in the border states like Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, California. You, they're paying billions, billions. I brought you these stories. In fact, $133 billion, and that was two years ago, before all this nonsense going on at the border. And healthcare and medical costs alone. And once again, the Democratic Marxists, the Biden administration, President Cadaver and his cabal, are using your tax money, that's who's paying for all this, to incentivize illegal boarding crossings. And it's really interesting to note that in some interviews that were done out in this family fun day, family fun day, come one, come all, as long as you're an illegal immigrant. The interviews, most of them at the event, said they were coming to America for the free benefits and not for any political or religious asylum reasons. Can you imagine that? Huh. Yeah, you mean the left hasn't been telling us the truth? As Pavlich put it so well, quote, this is, it comes down to who is this compassionate towards? Certainly not compassionate towards those in America who are just trying to make it and whose resources are being reallocated, you know, that redistribution folks, to people who came here breaking the law, unquote. Well said, well said. By the way, you know, FBI Director Ray. You know, the guy that was involved in Mar-a-Lago raids and uh, was kind of on the fringe of letting Hillary off the hook for emails and the heavy-handed takedowns of conservatives and the kid glove takedowns and then releases 
of birds of a feather to him, you know, Democrats. He cut short his testimony. It's unbelievable. In an August 4th Senate hearing, he informed the Judiciary Committee just before the hearing that he would have to leave in the middle of questioning to catch a 1.30 p.m. flight. It was later found out that it was a jet provided by and paid for by the FBI, which means you and me, folks, and he was leaving for a personal vacation. You really can't make this up, can you? (laughs) I mean, upon finding out what was going on, the committee sent him a letter. You reportedly departed on the FBI's Gulfstream 550, an agency aircraft initially intended for counterterrorism use, to make the one-hour and 12-minute journey to Cernic Lake. Further, it has been reported that he made a similar personal trip on a government aircraft on June 2nd and June 5th, 2022. Although certain federal officials are permitted to use government aircraft for personal or political use, these expenses must be reimbursed, etc., etc., etc. And he's now being asked to produce, I'm sure it'll turn into a subpoena, for all his documents and communications related to this travel, a full accounting of the cost to the taxpayers, all the documents and communications relating to any reimbursement for your personal or any political travel, you know, back before, and documents, communications referring to internal FBI policies, practices, or regulations regarding personal or political travel on government aircraft. So, once again, Director Ray is working hard for us, folks. I now know why crime is just on the decrease in the United States. Don't you agree? Hmm? By the way, the judge, Bruce Reinhardt, I told you about last week, who admitted, he's now admitted that the FBI's raid, which he approved, on Trump's Mar-a-Lago home was, quote, unprecedented, unquote. And he's rejected the Justice Department's argument to keep the affidavit, this is the key document, which led to getting the warrant under seal. And he cites the, quote, intense public and historical interest, unquote. In other words, he's feeling a lot of heat, folks, so he's trying to save his butt. (laughs) You know, wow. Uh, The judge is allowing the government, however, to redact portions of this affidavit, and they have until August 25th, a day or so ago, to do so. I can't wait to see it. I bet you it's mostly black lines, eh? And very few words, particularly any of the important and juicy stuff. We shall see. In really good news, following suit, no pun intended, with the judgments that have come out in favor of Navy and Air Force personnel, claiming exemptions to the jab, you know, the jab we just talked about here a little bit ago. Another United States District Court judge, Stephen D. Merriday, also appointed by Trump, has now granted a class-wide injunction that prohibits the Marine Corps from enforcing the Biden administration's military, quote-unquote, vaccine mandate against or even discharging Marines who filed for religious exemption. Hmm. This is in response to a class action suit by a number of Marines who filed for exemptions, which were summarily denied, and then they were kicked out of the Marine Corps for asking for the exemption. Hmm, you think there's going to be some checks written here, folks? I wonder why we're having this recruitment problem. The Chinese Red Army must be just licking their chops and clapping their hands. By the way, you talk about poetic justice, and you talk about the left eating its own, and you talk about just how vicious these people are. So Manchin told you this last week. He sold America down the river. He sold the American people, the budget deficit, taxes, you name it, down the river. And we now find out that he sold it down the river because, guess what? Schumer promised him that the Senate would approve a pipeline, a gas pipeline, through West Virginia. And Manchin thought that's going to be a lot of jobs, and it's going to be really good for his votes, you know, in the upcoming, I guess it's 2024 election. Well, guess what? Since the Democrats, the House Democrats, you know, that lovely group over there, 
since they were really upset about not being included in the negotiations with Manchin, and they're really kind of pissed off at Manchin for screwing up the 3 and $4 trillion bills, they've now decided that they are going to not vote for this gas pipeline. So we have Manchin, who's gone out on a limb, and he's blown it in every way, shape, or form. He's blown it with Republicans who were supporting him. He's blown it with moderates who thought he was reasonable. And he's blown it with his constituency because, number one, he went with the bill. And number two, the payday that he got for the bill isn't going to be materializing because he's getting stabbed in the back by his fellow Democrats. You know, there is some poetic justice. You know, I mean, after you betray West Virginia taxpayers, conservatism, basic human decency, not to mention financial integrity, you do deserve a little blowback, I think. By the way, after this all occurred, after this has come out in the last few days, Manchin's approval ratings, his positive feelings from other people, is now lower than Liz Cheney's. Does that give you an idea of what a big faux pas this was? Yeah. You know, you talk about the woke crowd. So, the Scheimer Great Book School of North Central College. This is a faculty member, this guy. He lives in Chicago. And he's advocating for the elimination of rural areas. You know, people shouldn't live out there. And government should, quote, give them generous grants to relocate amongst other humans. This is right along the lines of Agenda 2021 and Agenda 2030 from the United Nations. Not to mention, Klaus Schwab, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Let me give you a couple quotes from this guy. His name is Adam Kotzko. This will tell you, really, all the lunacy. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I'll just give you the quotes. They'll speak for themselves. In discussions of reducing car dependency, one often hears, what about people in remote rural areas? And my gut instinct is people shouldn't be living there in the first place. The solution is to give them generous grants to relocate amongst other humans. But what if they like living in rural areas? Sorry, you can't always get what you want. A lot of people would like to live in dense, transit-rich settings, but can't. Either because they can't afford it, or it simply doesn't exist where they are. And then let me give you the, the real goodie. And if this sounds harsh, don't worry. It will never happen because our governmental institutions are insanely biased in favor of rural areas. They'll be fine. Isn't it meant to imply that rural people's lifestyle is bad and wrong? As someone who lives in Chicago, all I can say is, cry me a river. <laughs> no, folks, all the stuff that they've told you about the city folks, not liking the rural folks and the blue folks looking down on the red folks and imposing all their standards on you, you know, with mandates and such, which we're going to talk about next week also. Uh, that's not true. Not, you know, don't believe your lion ears or your lion eyes. And we're out of time, as always, much to my regret, because we didn't cover half of what I wanted to and half of what should have been. So look in the mirror, talk to your family, and repeat after me, with conviction, folks, with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Great talking to you. Keep the wind at your back. Talk to you next week.